I dreamed of traveling the long road, singing my songs to that distant stranger. Yes, I know it's sad for you, but it's something I got to do. And I will be coming home, back to the mountains, back to being free from all there is to be. Coming home to live and the life I once knew. Hello, everyone. And welcome to Bedtime Bible Boys with Brock, Trey, and Theron TJ. Thanks Thanks for for listening. We love you, Mom. And you too, Gail. start off tonight with a little apology about our recording from last night that got ruined by feedback. We just had a weird feedback in the sound, and tonight I think we are set up to monitor if we start getting that. So we ended up not being able to publish last night's episode, which is fine. Uh, Really what we talked about in it in first kings chapter six was all the details of how the temple was built the different material that was used and what it symbolized and And we learned how big cubits were like a foot and a half that's right one cubit is a foot and a half and so all the dimensions and the material that was used and all the ways that it all the images all has to do with the glory of god and of heaven and that was basically why they were so specific and how they built all this and then some of it was symbolic we talked about how the most holy place which is where god could have a relationship with the high priest was not to have any stone inside that room that it was all wood and that wood to us kind of represented life and that stone represented the law The takeaway from that is that the law made of stone, it was so rigid, it was never going to allow us the opportunity to have a relationship with God. But the life of Jesus Christ does allow for that. Mm -hmm. To me, it reminds me of like a campfire. And like, you know how people put stones around a campfire? Mm -hmm. It's like the fire is God's love. How can the fire spread if the stones are there? That's actually a really good point. The stone if the stones aren't there, then that's part of the reasons that God's love can spread end- endlessly. That's right, because when the stone gets in the way, what does it tell us? We have to listen to the law. That's right. It tells us we're disqualified because we, if we want to be qualified, we have to listen to the law. And since no one of us is ever going to keep the law perfectly, we're never going to be qualified by the law. Certainly, that doesn't mean to go on in life and act like there's nothing good in living in accordance to the law. But we're not doing it to be qualified or to have a relationship with our Father. We're doing it because we have a relationship with him and we want a stronger relationship and it's just the natural tendency when you're loved and you love someone back is you you want to be with them you want to walk with them and be around them 
that's a good point, Trey. Thank you for talking about that. The only way the fire, his love, his word, his message can spread is when you remove the stone. When you remove the stone, it is free to breathe. It is free to move. We can come before our Father fully justified because of what Jesus Christ has done. That makes me think of the cinder blocks. When we put the cinder blocks in the fire, fire was like not breathing hard at all. Like it was just... It killed it. Yeah. Um, nearly made the fire die. That's right. Yeah, the fire could barely move. The fire could barely grow or barely burn because there wasn't any flow of oxygen. There was no life. Anything that could give any life was being completely squelched out by the stones. And we moved all that stuff and we created a big fire. Yeah. That's a really good metaphor. Remove, do not mix law and grace. Do not try and live a life in Christ where you're still trying to be justified by the stone, by the law. Get it out of the way completely and that light inside you, that fire will burn and it'll burn bright and it'll spread. It's the law. It's when the devil gets inside your head and uses the law against you. The law was meant for one purpose, and that was to show you that you need Jesus, that you're never going to be able to fulfill it. Once you've recognized that you need Jesus, the law is dead. Like I said, it's not that we want to live in violation of the law, but it, it doesn't hold any power over us, right? Not until you turn to the shame of the flesh or you turn to the word of the devil and you start believing again that the law is still your requirement if you want to be in good standing with the Father. Just remove that completely and the fire will burn. God, thank you, Trey. That was really good. So that was chapter six, and that was actually probably better than what we talked about yesterday. So the Lord, maybe the Lord just decided, you know what, let's just, <laughs> I'm just going to delete this and let him talk about it tonight. Very fun. In chapter seven, we continue on where, uh, with Solomon having finished the temple and that now he is going to build his palace. In verse one. It took Solomon 13 years to complete the construction of his palace. Do you remember how many years it took him to build the temple? Seven. That's right. And we said seven was whose number? God's number. That's right, God's number. He built the palace of the forest of Lebanon, a hundred cubits long, 50 wide and 30 high, with four rows of cedar columns supporting trimmed cedar beams. It was roofed with cedar above the beams that rested on the columns, 45 beam, beams to 15, 15 to a row. Its windows were placed high and sets of three facing each other. All the doorways had rectangular frames. They were in the front in sets of three facing each other. He made a colonnade 50 cubits long and 30 wide. In front of it was a portico, and in front of that were pillars and an overhanging roof. Trey, what's a portico? Not 
not sure. I have no idea. Brock, do you know what a portico is? <laughs> no. Okay. Makes uh, me think of Puerto Rico for some reason. Makes me think of just like a big um place with like a light um over like this um plant that's growing. Mm-hmm. Maybe like, you're right. It's, it's something in this like that. Rectangle bowl with a bunch of soil in it. Mm-hmm. We must use context clues to find out. I know. I almost feel like it's like some sort of overhang. Like there was a like the roof went. You're outside, kind of like a porch or like a pergola. You're outside, but there's, um, you know, a, a ceiling above you, because he said then there's columns supporting it in front of that. So I I feel like it's something like that. But I don't really know. Just thought it would be funny to ask you and have not the slightest clue. In verse 7, He built the throne hall, the hall of justice, where he was to judge, and he covered it with cedar from floor to ceiling. And the palace in which he was to live, set farther back, was similar in design. Solomon also made a palace like this hall for Pharaoh's daughter, whom he had married. Verse 9, all these structures from the outside to the great courtyard and from foundation to eaves were made of blocks of high-grade stone cut to size and trimmed with a saw on their inner and outer faces. The foundation were laid with large stones of good quality, some measuring ten cubits and some eight. Above were high-grade stones cut to size and cedar beams. The great courtyard was surrounded by a wall of three courses of dressed stone and one course of trimmed cedar beams as was the inner courtyard of the temple of the Lord with its portico. <laughs> the portico is mentioned a lot. King Solomon sent to Tyre and brought Haram, whose mother was a widow from the tribe of Nephthali, and whose father was a man of Tyre and a craftsman in bronze. Haram was highly skilled and experienced in all kinds of bronze work. He came to King Solomon and did all the work assigned to him. He cast two bronze pillars, each 18 cubits high. That's pretty high. Almost 30 feet. And 12 cubits around by line. He also made two capitals of bronze to set on top of the pillars. Each capital was five cubits high. A network of interwoven chains festooned the capitals on top of the pillars, seven for each capital. He made pomegranates in two rows, encircling each network to decorate the capitals on top of the pillars. He did the same for each capital. The capitals on top of the pillars in the... Portico? Portico. Were in the shape of lilies, four cubits high. On the capitals of both pillars, above the bowl-shaped part next to the network, were the 200 pomegranates in rows all around. He erected the pillars at the... Portico. Portico. There you go. Portico of the temple. Those pillars of bronze are really high. I, I was doing the math. Mm-hmm. It's like 27 feet high. That's each. right. 27 feet. That's right. They're pretty high. It's a lot of bronze. The pillar to the south he named Jaquin, and the one to the north Boaz. The capitals on top were in the shape of lilies, and so the work on the pillars was completed. He made the sea of cast metal circular in shape, measuring 10 cubits from rim to rim and 5 cubits high. It took a line of 30 cubits to measure around it. Below the rim, gourds encircled it, 10 to a cubit. The gourds were cast in two rows in one piece with the sea. 
The sea stood on twelve bulls, three facing north, three facing west, three facing south. How many guys think faced east? Three. (laughs) The same number. (laughs) That's right, three facing east. The sea rested on top of them, and their hindquarters were toward the center. It was a handbreadth in thickness, and its rim was like the rim of a cup, like a lily blossom. It held 2,000 baths. Interesting measurements. Wait, baths? What are baths? I think it's a, it's a measurement for like the um, amount of water, and they called it the sea. Well, let's let's cut it off there tonight because there's more. It's more of this, which is is neat, you know. But it, it there's this is a lot of stuff in one uh, chapter, just talking about dimensions and how things were made. Again, you know, part of this um, was recorded. You know why? Well, one reason might be that one day the temple is going to be rebuilt again, and the Lord probably knew this. Because the, the temple is going to be destroyed and rebuilt. The Lord probably knew this. And so it was important to have a record of how the temple was built in its original way. And also, as we said before, all these things spoke to some other uh, metaphor or made a picture of Christ or our relationship with God. Heaven. I don't understand all these pictures, but they, they, you know, they are important. So just remember that this was important for for those two reasons, that it gave like a blueprint to the people on how the temple was built, and it provided a picture of God's glory with all the imagery. Everything else going all right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Tomorrow is Friday. Fridays are fun. Let's finish the week strong. Let's think of some way we can encourage someone tomorrow. You know? Yeah. I've been struggling with letting things that are divisive just make me a little bit angry. You know? And make me feel like I want to hold my position and fight back. When I say fight, I mean figuratively. And that is true. Having a, a belief in... A strong belief is important, but um, I just feel like I'm I'm letting it steal my peace sometimes, and uh, it would be better if my peace was 100% in the Lord and not in the divisive things of this world, you know, such things as wearing a mask, right? I don't that doesn't give me peace. I don't like to do it. It's not because I don't care about people. I just don't like to actually do it. And you've talked about that too, Trey. I don't I don't like it either. It's just not comfortable for me, and I like my face. I, the Lord gave me my face. I'm happy with it, yeah. and uh, I just like to, and I like to see other people's face, and I like to smile. Um, I like to feel like I can engage people, and like I'm not afraid of them because they're they're not inherently um, a threat to me, and I'm not to them. You know, I would rather encourage people. But in the midst of all this, I think that's what we do. We trust in the Lord to give us the peace that transcends all understanding and we find ways to encourage other people because when we encourage other people, we're going to receive encouragement from it. Mm -hmm. It's hard to not feel encouraged when you're encouraging somebody else. Yeah. You know? It's 
Sometimes when you're happy, it feels impossible to be sad. Mm-hmm. And if you're sad, I really think that sometimes the best way to get out of that funk is to try and make somebody else happy. And then that joy will also fill your heart. You know? uh, so let's think about that tomorrow. I will. And maybe we'll talk about it tomorrow night. We are called to have peace because he gave us peace. When the Lord returned after being in the grave for three days and he saw the disciples again, he said, peace be with you. And do you remember what he showed them when he said, peace be with you? His hands. His hands. Why could they have peace? Why were there holes in his hands? Because um, sin um, was defeated. Yeah, that's why they could have peace. He had holes in his hands because he paid the penalty for sin. He forgave them. Right. He They were forgiven. He had won. It was finished, right? He was showing them his hands saying, Here, you can have peace. Here's what he didn't do. He didn't look at him and say, Look at my face. I'm not wearing a mask. You can have peace because you no longer have to wear a mask. You know what I'm saying? He didn't say that. He said, I bring peace. But the peace he gave to bring was not that we would agree with the politics of the countries we live in. It was not that we would agree with the rules that we have to live under. It was not that we would agree. He gave us peace because he paid the penalty for sin and he rose up from the grave and was resurrected. Now, I'm not taking a shot at you for having some moments of non-peace because of rules, because I struggle with it too. But just understand this. The idea is to mature in him so much that your peace is in him and it's no longer something that the world can touch. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Our peace is so rooted in the Father that the world can't do anything to touch it. That's where we want to get to. I'm not there yet. You're not there yet. But together, we're getting farther along. Do you agree? Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, we pray. I believe that if we can pray for the Lord to destroy this virus and that one day it will, that that will be the way we get back to not seeing each other as threats, but seeing each other as people that we want to engage with and love. All right, boys. I love you. Love you too. Love you too. You guys are good kids.